What's up, guys? Really grateful you guys are listening to the pod. I would love it if you could take just five seconds to leave a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you might be listening to this. It really goes a long way to spread the message, which would allow me to get better guests to add more value to your life. And if you're one of the special people that have helped spread the word on this podcast, I am deeply appreciative of your support. Enjoy the episode. When you love yourself enough, you don't care to look for someone's approval to pursue your own dreams. That means the day you fall in love with you is the day the world will fall in love with you. Meet Naveen Jain. He's an entrepreneur and philanthropist who came to this country with five bucks in his pocket and turned it into billions. We started imagining a world where you did not make money from sick care, but you made money by keeping people healthy. Heard you're trying to go to the moon. I was like, who is this guy? Let me learn more. In his own words, he wants to make illness a choice. You're literally taking people to the moon, right? I can give you $100 million right now, no questions asked, or I'll give you a dollar today, and every single day for the next 30 days, I will double it for you. People in their mind say, oh, sure. How am I going to get to $100 million ever? Not happening, right? I'll take $100 million without realizing 30 doubling later, it is $1 billion. There is no such thing as good or bad. When something happens, it happened. You don't know it's good or bad for decades from now. All being, you know, at a point in life and, you know, you broke up with your girl, first girlfriend and you thought that was the end of your life. And 10 years later, you look back and say, wow, what a nightmare we avoided. <laughs> that thinking is just very difficult for human mind. So how do we get there? How do we train people to think that way? So how you train is actually... Thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's been a joy watching you speak. Your keynote was yesterday here at the Biohacking Conference. And one of the things that really shook me that I've seen you heard about, talk about, but it's the quality of the questions we ask that determines the quality of our lives. Mm -hmm. Can you explain like how you even learn to ask better questions when it comes to life and business? Yeah. So first of all, anything you do in life, that's worth doing, it takes a lot of energy. Hmm. So whether you do something small or whether you do something large, a lot of people get so scared. Oh my God, this is so big, it's so audacious. Who hmm. am I to do that? And it turns out the bigger ideas are actually easier to do than the smaller ideas. And the reason for that is very simple. The smartest people want to work on the toughest problems. The mm. people who are successful, they want to work on things that become legendary. They want to work on things that will make them significant. They don't want to work on something small. They want to solve the problem that if they are successful, can change the trajectory of how humanity is going to live, right? So when you tell someone, hey, I want to build an iPhone app that will help you find a roommate, they say, great, have fun doing it, good luck. Mm. When you tell someone, I'm going to change the way people understand their health. I'm going to go settle on the moon or Mars or beyond. People say, really? So mm. how are you going to do that, right? And now they are willing to work with you because you have this audacious vision 
you have the resources and you're willing to dedicate decades of your life to solving this problem. You guess what happens? When you get the smartest people to come together, the money follows because every venture capitalist, what are they saying? Unbelievable opportunity. Look at the team that you have assembled. We want to invest in you. So all it starts with that big audacious idea. You put together a great team because they all want to solve that big problem. And the money comes because you now are solving a big problem and you have a great team, right? Hmm. So suddenly everything starts to fall in place. Now, how do you know that your idea actually is worth pursuing? And, you know, having done this many times, I ask myself three questions. Why this? Why now? And why me? So don't worry, I'm going to answer your question. Yes. Why this is really simple. Why this is about, God forbid, you're actually successful in solving the problem that you set out to do. Would it help a billion people live a better life? Hmm. And as I've always said, it's not about because you say, hey, I'm a philanthropic person. I want to help a billion people. Of course, we all want to do that. Right. But really, from a capitalist perspective, anytime you can solve any problem that makes life better for a billion people, you have these billion customers that end up helping you create a hundred billion dollar company. Right. right. But you don't wake up in the morning and say, I want to make a hundred billion dollar company. What do I do? You don't. That is making money is a byproduct of doing things that actually improve people's lives. Right. So that's simple. Number two is why now? And this is about people say, oh, some people have a crystal ball and they're able to always find the next thing to do. Sure. Well, it turns out it is really, you don't need a crystal ball for it. There are two or three ways I've always found a great way to look at the things. One is look at what has changed in the last couple of years. And what do you see the trend happening that will change in the next three to five years that will allow you to actually solve the problem at scale mm. in three to five years? So not now. Not you now. You have to think. Think three. It may to not be the hot thing now. It may not saying. be hot thing now. Mm. But what is going to be then three to five years because of these technologies that are coming up? The right. convergence of technologies, what problems can be solved in three to five years that couldn't have been solved five years ago? Right. So if you think about it and saying, you know, what are the things, the AI is getting more and more powerful. Right. Sensors are getting smaller and more powerful. We're going to have massive amount of data. What problems can I solve in the next three to five years that couldn't have been solved a decade ago? Hmm. Right? And then suddenly you start to see what is going on. Other things I do is I read a lot. So I spend, you know, in the morning, two, three hours reading about every single subject. And the reason is, number one, anytime you start to see lots of research papers being published on anything, and that's starting to see more and more people are starting to say, well, this thing works this way, this thing works this way. And you start to say, well, if it is happening in the lab and it's becoming more and more people are starting to prove it, it's going to become the trend in the next three to five years. Sure, sure. Right? So you start to look at what's coming in the lab and what's becoming more and more frequent and you know in three to five years, it's gonna be commercialized. Where in the lab though? I mean, most people are probably reading articles yeah. online, but you know. But that's you, what I do. Mm -hmm. So, but think about it. Online, you can read about anything, right? Yeah. You can read about porn and waste your life, or you can read about nature, the science magazine. Sure. So I set my Twitter feed to all the science magazines. 
the only thing I see in my Twitter feed is not you know what Musk is saying today. I <laughs> see about what's the latest paper on nature, right. what's the latest paper in science magazine, what's the latest paper on neuroscience, what's the thing on quantum physics, and then I read not one book or two books or three books. I read half a dozen to dozen books on the same subject simultaneously while oh, no serially or serially okay. and the reason I do that is if you read one book the author's view becomes your view right if you read 10 books you have 10 different point of views and then you are able to collect these dots and make your own point of view by listening to 10 people and that becomes your unique perspective that no one else has mm. right because you're able to superset all the knowledge now yeah Right? Yeah. Experts will never listen to each other, but you get to actually now listen to all the experts and create your own view as a non-expert. Right? Sure, sure. So this is really how I always found the right trend, right? So when, you know, 15 years ago, when people said, why go to the moon? I said, that's the next logical step. Well, be there, been there, done that, nobody wants to do that. Then look at now, everybody wants to go to the moon. Mm. We saw that trend 15 years but ago. That was was that the right time though? You said, why this, why now? Yeah, the time was because at that point we started to see that rocket propulsion technologies were getting cheaper and cheaper. Hmm. It used to, it took us a billion dollars to go to the moon. We were starting to see you could get to the moon for $10 million because wow. you can build these smaller rockets. 1% of the cost. 1%. And that's a massive shift when you start to see you can 3D print your rockets. You can make the rockets very modular. You don't have to have a one big rocket. You can actually make the multiple shift rockets. Mm. And that's why we say, look, there is a trend that's happening that we can take advantage of, right? Same thing and you know, so anyway, uh, same thing happened on when I started Viome. We saw that tremendous amount of research was coming out on microbiome and many human health. We saying, look, this thing is really starting to happen. Five years later, Lady Gaga is talking about microbiome. <laughs> you know, that tells you something. That's how you know it's literally like a, you know, a popular thing, right? When that, Lady Gaga starts tweeting about crypto or like <laughs> microbiome, that's how you know everybody in the whole world is talking about yeah, it. Sorry. So coming back to the you know, question you were asking me, yeah. that's the last, why me? And why me is about what questions are you asking that are different from what everyone else in the industry is asking? Hmm. So. Questions you ask is the problem you solve. So I think, you know, as yesterday I was giving in my talk that there are many, you can literally ask any question and how do you actually apply different questions, reframe that question, right? Yeah. You say, hey, climate change, is it about fossil fuel or could it be solved by actually stopping the lightning uh, fires, forest fires from lightning? Can we stop the volcanoes from erupting? Is it about... Uh, solving hunger problem by creating more food distribution of things? Yes and yes and yes. But what if we find why people eat food? And what if we solve that? Because the only reason they eat food is because they need energy or they need nutrition. Right. right. Just just to go back to the, <laughs> the, the question. Yeah. It seems the thing that you have demonstrated in terms of the pattern of the way you think mm -hmm. is that you think in a non-linear way. And I would, I would imagine most humans, just the way we've been wired, yeah. think linearly. Like we can't see exponential progress. We can't see that a billion dollars is going to get to 10 million mm -hmm. because of the fact that we think linearly. Right? It's why people thought COVID wasn't going to spread as fast because the idea of it spreading from a sure. network effect is it's kind of hard to think about. It's just not the way we're thought. But that is absolutely true. So I yeah. think the 
power of exponential thinking is very different, right? Yeah. And it's very interesting. You ask people if you were to take a thirty steps, how far will you go? Almost everyone can get very close to thirty steps. Where will you be? Mm. And you tell them take thirty exponential steps. That means take one step, then you take two steps, then you take four steps, then you take eight steps, right? How far will you go if you were to take? 30 additional exponential steps and mm. more people say oh maybe downtown right, right 16 times around the earth that's so crazy right same yeah. thing by the way you ask people hey i can give you 100 million dollars right now no questions asked or i'll give you a dollar today and every single day for the next 30 days i will double it for you mm. people in their mind say oh sure like 1 2 4 8 16 32 dollars I'm still looking dollars. Sixty-four dollars, hundred twenty-eight dollars, two hundred fifty-six dollars, five hundred twelve dollars, thousand dollars. How am I going to get to hundred million dollars ever? Not right, happening, right. right? I'll take hundred million without realizing thirty doubling later. It is one billion dollars, hmm. right? You can't get there because in the beginning it looks tiny, tiny, tiny until you hit the knee of the curve and boom, yeah, it goes up, right? That. Thinking is just very difficult for human mind. So how do we get there? How do we train people to so think? So how you train is actually understanding that you don't extrapolate the linear thinking. You plot them on a log curve. On a log curve, everything becomes exponential. So it looks linear on a long curve, on a log curve, but it's actually exponential at that point, right? Hmm. So how you look at the stuff and saying, look at. For example, uh, this is really interesting. The company that invented the digital camera was a company that actually went out of business because of digital camera. Kodak. Kodak. Yeah. So Kodak actually invented a digital camera, and when the scientists came to the board and said, "We have invented this digital camera. It is a, it is going to be a one pixel camera." Or one megapixel camera. Yeah. People lo- laughing at them. It's like, are you crazy? Who would ever use that? We got these beautiful chemical films. Yeah. Without realizing, guess what? It is going to continue doubling. And five years, ten years later, it drove them out of business. Hmm. Right. So this is a you know idea we tell all people is that don't get codec. Right. <laughs> right. Because yeah. idea is when you do not look at the trend of where the trend is going. You will actually get disrupted, and you always talk about where did that come from? Never mm. saw it coming. Suddenly, people of five years ago start saying, "Oh, this 3D printing is so new; it's going to change the world." Yeah. And I told them that 3D printing actually started 30 years ago. So much so, all the patents on 3D printing are already <laughs> expired. Wow! It has been that long. Yeah. People look at this. Chat GPT. Oh my God! The generative AI is going to take over the world. It was invented 17 years ago. <laughs> What was that? LLMs. Yeah, LLMs in general. In right. general, the right. algorithm for LLMs was until the processing power caught on. The all of the stuff that needed to happen, the money that needed to be poured in for actually training these LLMs. Hmm. I mean, it costs. Hundred million dollars every time you train LLM, right? Yeah. Right. And now LLMs are very limited in their feature set. They, by definition, they're large language model. They work for serial data, so audio, video, languages. They do a great job, but they would never work on random data. They're not designed for that. 
So somehow when people say, hey, AI is going to somehow wipe out the humanity, you start to ask yourself the question, how would that happen? People start to say, well, it's going to someday become age artificial general intelligence. That's a long time out. LLMs are not going to get you there. You need a completely different architecture mm. to get to the AGI. And would it be the humans versus AI or will it be humans plus AI that is actually going to win? Right. You know, in, in all of these things, you have to look at the, you know, questions from a very, very different perspective. Now, one of the dumbest questions when people say is, hey, your grandma died 10 years ago. Do you know, do you believe she's still alive? And people really take a philosophical approach to it. You know, her energy is still around. And that's actually is true. Because we as humans, this holy tangent subject, we as humans are made of what? Atoms. Mm -hmm. What are atoms made of? Electrons and protons. What are they made of? Quarks. What are they made of? Energy. So we are literally a floating energy. Even though when I touch myself, it feels solid. But we know it's not. Right. Your brain is being fooled by our haptic sensor, thinking and believing in something that is not real. Even though we all look one person, it is just a floating energy. What happens when we die? Mm. The energy never dies. It becomes part of universal energy. When the new person is born, you take the portion of the energy gets manifested. Again, what do you call the reincarnation? <laughs> right? So it's not a religious term. It is just how energy works. Mm. It just gets reformed. So there is a piece of everything that's in you. Now, when you say, Does, is your grandmother dead? Depends who you're asking. So let's assume she died 50 years ago. If you ask someone who lives just 100 light years away, when they're looking down on earth, they're seeing your grandmother walking as a young woman. Mm. Right? Perspective. For them, it's, they still see that because it took light 100 years to get to them. So when we look at the stars, it looks real to us. They may be dead because we, it took them a million, light took a million years to get to us. Yeah. So they'll all be dead, right? So point is just because we see something doesn't it believe, we, you have to believe it. Now imagine completely different tangent. Our sensors are connected to our body. I see you, I hear you, I smell the room, I can touch the thing. And my brain believes that's what I'm here. Now imagine if my sensors were remote, just like wireless. My eyes were somewhere, my ears were there, my nose was there, my touch was there. Brain doesn't know the difference when its signal goes to the brain in the dark. It doesn't know where it's coming from. You, It will believe you are in Paris because it sees Paris, it smells Paris, it's seeing the people, it's everything. You, you could be in Paris sitting here because your sensors are telling you that's where you are. Hmm. Now imagine if you can be in sensors in multiple places simultaneously feeding your brain, you could be in two places at the same time. So my mom used to say, you can't be in two places at the same time. Maybe mom wasn't thinking exponentially yet. Right, right. <laughs> right. And this kind of goes back to, you know, this, this idea of perspective, right? Yeah. Someone might think that something is possible mm -hmm. and someone based on their own experience yeah. versus someone that may have a limited mindset, may not be able to, or they don't have that experience to. Yeah. So the third question to why is yeah. why me? Like me. Yeah. And this is something that a lot of people struggle with. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a quote by Rumi, the poet, mm -hmm. and she said, yesterday I was clever, yes. so I try to change the world. Yes. Today I'm wise, yes. and I'm changing myself. Yes. 
So before we think that exponentially and think about changing the world, mm -hmm. there's a lot of self-work that I feel entrepreneurs and mm -hmm. visionaries need to do to make sure they're solving the right problem. Yes. So how do we become self-aware to know what problems to, to solve in the first place? I think first of all, what problem you care about solving. So it's not, so there are a lot of theories around how you look at that. So one is, does it matter to me that this prop solving this problem is personal to me that I am willing to dedicate two, three decades of my life to solve it. That long, right? Yeah. That or long at least my point, you have to be willing to do that because sometimes problems are just not easy to solve. Yeah. But you have to be willing to dedicate 10, 20, 30 years of your life to solving a problem. How long has been Viome for you? Seven years. Seven years, yeah. right. So point is you, you have to be prepared to dedicate decades of your life to solving a yeah. problem. Now, second thing is ask yourself, what are you willing to die for? And then live for it, right? What are the things that you're not just passionate about, you're truly obsessed about solving? Hmm. Because passion is for hobbies, right? I am passionate about collecting space rocks, right? That's great, but I'm obsessed about solving the healthcare problem. Why do people get sick? How can we prevent the humanity from developing these chronic diseases? Because at the end of the day, every one of us suffers through that. Why does it have to be that way? Why? What if we can solve that problem, hmm. right? And that is the thing that, you know, why me? So I can apply, you know, the, my current moonshot is Wyom, and I can apply the same thinking of why this, why now, why me? And then I'll tell you how to actually think about it. So first thing we ask ourselves was, what if we actually can understand what causes, what changes in the human body at the onset of a chronic disease, cancer or aging? What changes in the human body during progression of these diseases? If we can find out what causes the onset and progression of these diseases, we could one day prevent them from happening, stop the progression of them, and if we get really lucky, reverse them, right? And that was our say. If we can do that, would it help a billion people live a better life? The answer was eight billion of us, check mark, good. Next thing was why now? And we say, look, to solve this problem, there are multiple things need to happen. We have to be able to digitize the human body. The cost of digitization of just one single sample seven years ago was almost a thousand dollars. And we said, wow, thousand dollars, that's not scalable, but it came down from millions of dollars. Hmm. And in next three to five years, I have no doubt it will come down to hundred dollars because the cost of sequencing will just continue to come down. Guess what? Not only it came to $100, it came down to about $12. So while we thought we were 10 times optimistic, it turns out we were actually seven or eight times pessimistic. Right, and yeah. then even though you thought we were 10 times 10x, yeah. turns out you still were under thinking. Even as an exponential thinker, yeah. you were undershooting under what it cost. What it cost, cost, right? Yeah. Second thing was we say, look, even if we could sequence and get all this massive amount of data, how would we process this massive amount of data? So we launched the thing and said we could use a cloud server. And we actually did the thing the first time on a cloud, fired it up, and it took $45 worth of processing to process the data. We took a deep breath and said, that can't scale. Mm. But guess what? It used to be hundreds of dollars. 
I think in the next three to five years, it will come down to $10. It came down to buck fifty, <laughs> right? And there we were. I mean, we you know yeah. knew the trends were in the right direction. We still were uh, you know undershooting that, mm. right? But the point was, we were in the right direction that we could make this work. Sure. Third thing was, would AI actually become powerful enough to be able to actually make sense of this massive amount of data? And there was no doubt in anyone's mind that AI AI was moving at a speed; it will be there. So we just say, great, let's go do it. Mm. And that's why the timing fit perfectly. The last part was why me? I am not a scientist or a biologist. And I looked at the industry and seeing everyone in the industry is asking the same question. I wanna know about your DNA. I wanna know about your human genes because that's the software of human body. And if we knew that we can find the problem. And I said, wait a sec, your DNA never changes when you gain 200 pounds. Your DNA doesn't change when you become diabetic. Your DNA doesn't change when you get depression. Your DNA doesn't change when you have heart disease. In fact, your DNA doesn't change after you die. You can look at DNA of a tooth in common. You can look at DNA of a dinosaur. It's the same DNA. Really? So if DNA can't even tell you you're dead or alive, how will it ever tell you you're healthy or sick? So we said that's a that's the wrong question people are asking. Hmm. What changes all the time is your RNA, your gene expression. So your genes don't change, but your gene expression is always changing. So people say, what the hell is this gene expression? What is this RNA? Well, it's really simple. Every part of our body is identical DNA. You can do DNA of my hair, my skin, my nose, my nails, my eyes, my kidney, my heart, the same DNA. Why is it I don't have the eyes growing on my fingers, nails growing on my head, same DNA. The expression changes and the same DNA can become anything we want. So we, I look at DNA as an alphabet and RNA is a story you're writing. Mm. So what story are you writing with your life? Don't blame your ancestor. Blame the story you're writing with your life every yeah. single day. And we say, what if we can do RNA? Second part was actually interesting. We started to see in the research that every single disease the researchers were finding some microbiome involvement. So if you Google today microbiome and diabetes, microbiome and cancer, microbiome and cancer therapy, microbiome and addiction, microbiome and depression, every single disease was being connected to microbiome. My first reaction was, wait a sec, if everyone believes this is a problem and there are tens of companies doing microbiome testing, then why is this problem not being solved? Went back to the first principle, what questions are they asking? And it turns out to date, every single microbiome company is asking the same wrong question. They want to know about what organisms are in your gut, Sean's gut, what organisms are in Naveen's gut. If two people have diabetes, they must have same organism. Well, it turns out thousands of different organisms can produce exactly the same thing that's making you sick. So it's not about who they are, it's about what they are producing. Mm. And what we learned was same organism in one environment can produce something good and same organism in a tough environment can produce something toxic. Just like a human being, you take a person, put them in a good environment, good behavior, put them in a bad environment, bad behavior. So I go back to my Gandhi, Gandhi principle. Punish the sin, not the sinner. When they do the bad behavior, they're bad people. When they do good behavior, they're good people. They're not good or bad until they do good behavior or bad behavior. Right, right. Right. So we focus on what they produce, not who they are. 
right? And then interaction between that and the human gene expression allowed us to now understand what is causing people to have diabetes, what's causing people to have IBS, what's causing people to have depression. And then we started to say, hey, this food, when you give it to the microbiome, they produce this. So if they're producing sulfide and we don't want sulfide, how can they produce sulfide until I give them sulfate? What foods contain sulfate? Broccoli, cabbage, Brussels sprout. You got high sulfide, don't give it to them. Mm. <laughs> so literally we can say, hey, this is what's happening in your body and this is why you shouldn't eat this food. Yeah. Or you need these foods because we need to produce this. So we can very easily now give them the food and then we go through the what supplements your body needs, but they can't come from food. For example, we say, look, you have a lot of oxidative stress in your cells. You need a lot of you know, antioxidative things like strawberry. But strawberry also contains compounds that are histamine. And we're looking at your histamine, it's too high. I can't give you strawberry anymore. Right. Me specifically, you're With saying. You specifically. It, could be, it could be different for someone Different person. Yeah. So you're high histamine. We can give you strawberry. So I'm going to take fisetin from a strawberry and give it to you. Yeah. Right. So put them in a supplement. So we literally make the supplements for each individual, taking the ingredients you need, vitamin, minerals, herbs, digestive enzyme, amino acid, whatever you need, we put them in a capsule and send it to you for made for you only. Yeah. Right. The reason I'm talking about all that is with all that, we were able to now collect mil 750 trillion data points with 550,000 samples. Suddenly we started to see the people who had this cancer always had the same biomarkers. We said, that could be a great biomarker for diagnostic. Hmm. We took that to FDA and showed them we can detect stage one cancer with 95% specificity and 90% plus sensitivity stage one cancer. No one has ever done that. We got from FDA breakthrough device <laughs> designation for that. From the data you have. From the data we had. So just to go back, because yeah. this is talking about perseverance and exponential yeah. progress, right? Yes. You have 500,000 samples, yeah. 750 trillion yeah. data samples yeah. today. Yeah. But when you first started out, yeah. things were expensive. You mm -hmm. didn't know if it was going to scale. Yeah. You didn't have the data. Yeah. There wasn't a lot that you were working with. That's right. And that's pretty much most entrepreneurs mm -hmm. that are at that stage, yeah. even if they're working mm -hmm. on an exponential problem. Seth Godin has a great book called yeah. The Dip, right? Yeah. Which he talks about whether you should quit. Yes. And exceptional people quit all the time. Yeah. You quit reading bad books. Yeah. You quit bad relationships. Mm -hmm. You quit bad businesses. When to hold them and to fold them. <laughs> right. And that takes you to great places yeah. that opportunity costs have. Yeah. So how do you know mm -hmm. at that point? Wait, maybe you're not at the exponential part. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're still at the slump. Your product sucks. Yeah. You're yeah. You don't have the data. Yeah. How do we know when we should persevere? What's the question we ask yeah. or to continue? Yeah. So first thing you have to ask yourself is, are you moving in the right direction? So once you have a North Star, you know the path from A to B will never be a straight line path. Yeah. But are you actually moving in the direction of helping solve the problem or not, right? So think of an entrepreneurship as experimentation. How many experiments can you do as quickly and fail to know what is not going to work? So the faster you fail, the more experiments you are able to do because you have limited amount of money. So how do you do faster experiments? Say that won't work, that won't work. 
So when Thomas Edison said it the best, I did not fail thousand times. I figured out the thousand different ways the light bulb does not work and that allowed me to find the way it actually does work, right? So ex ex experimentation, so every entrepreneur, this is the trick. When you do something or when you create a hypothesis, always know based on the outcome of that experiment, what would you do differently? Mm. Most entrepreneurs never ask the question. You say, we should do this. And we say, what if that fails? What lesson did you learn from it? What would you do differently? And if the answer is, I don't know, then you're doing the wrong experiment. Always experiment knowing what the next set of hypothesis is going to be from the outcome of that. Right, before you even start. Before you start. So right. people say like, I want to build this dashboard for my company. And my answer is, assume it's built. What decision will you make that is different from what you're making today? If the answer is nothing, then you're wasting your time. <laughs> hmm. right, right, right. So assume it's built. That's kind of the question yeah. you want to ask. Yeah. Assume you have it today. Yeah. Um, you're a great storyteller. I think you're one of the one of the best storytellers that I, I know in the entrepreneurship world because you have a way to not you don't talk about the product necessarily certainly that's important but you talk about your own story one of the stories that you talk about is your dad that yes. had cancer mm -hmm. with pancreatic cancer yeah. uh, I, I don't know if he's with us or no not no unfortunately we lost him but that was one of the inspirations yeah. that yeah. allowed you to start mm -hmm. Vion and it's one of the unique things about it, you're not just starting it to solve this big problem, but it's a problem that you had for your own self. Mm -hmm. What would you advise entrepreneurs or people that are trying to inspire others mm -hmm. to resonate with their stories? Mm -hmm. how, how do we tell stories oh, that allows you to build the talent that you need? Well, first of all, it's so first a great question. You can't inspire anyone. You need to be inspired. So unless you are inspired, you can't inspire anyone. Mm. Don't feel, you cannot make someone angry. You cannot make someone depressed. Only they have the power to make themselves depressed. Right. Only they have the power to make themselves angry, right? Yeah. So when you feel you can inspire someone, you're fooling yourself. What you do is you be inspired first. You go out there and show the energy you have. People latch on to your energy. People latch on to when you are act when they feel connected to you and they feel you're being authentic. Yeah. Lot of people go there and learn the art of talking, art storytelling, the, and they are not authentic. People are not stupid. They know when they're being sold something. Especially today. It, Today, people are, their antenna is so sensitive. Mm. They know the first time they hear about, oh, so you're trying to sell me something, yeah. right? They are very tuned to it. So to me, the best way, if you ever an entrepreneur want to be a salesperson, is really simple. Educate people. Feel, tell your own inspiration of why you do what you do. Mm. People feel inspired by your journey to be part of your journey and they are inspired to buy your product. You never sell them your product. So never sell anything. You educate them, you inspired yourself to actually tell a story that people say, I wanna be part of his journey. Right. I wanna support him, right? And that's how your products get sold. 
Do you think the mistake that entrepreneurs make is they think what they say and what they, they what they believe they want to hear? Other people want to hear, and it becomes and it's it's inauthentic to what they're saying, and people can resonate. They don't resonate right. with that. Every side. time I'm second guessing, I think I should say this. That is what they would want to hear. No, yeah. I don't really care. Hmm. I'm going to tell you how I feel about it. And that authenticity, people may disagree with you, but they still fall in love with you. Right, because they know you're saying true yeah. to your word. Yeah. yeah. The thing that I don't hear you talk a lot about in the interview, I know you talk about your kids and yeah. we'd love to go to the yeah. stories of mm -hmm. the great things that yeah. they're building and yeah. how you're educating them. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I haven't heard you talk too much about is the relationship that you have with your wife, with your wife mm -hmm. and how she's been able to be there mm -hmm. along your journey and the impact that she's had in terms of the way you've thought. Mm -hmm. You talk about the heartbeat of mm -hmm. when the ups are great, yeah. you yeah. feel amazing, but yeah. you're going to have downs, right? Yeah. Being alive isn't yeah. the linear path that most people want. That means yeah. you're dead, yeah. right? You have yeah. the ups and you have the downs. Well, you got that right. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> in the down moments that you yeah. have mm -hmm. in the seven companies that you've built, yeah. Yeah. you know, three sure. decades, four decades, what has been the impact that mm -hmm. your wife has had mm -hmm. in your journey? Mm -hmm. And what would you recommend mm -hmm. for other entrepreneurs mm -hmm. on this journey mm -hmm. to look for when they look for yeah. partners? Yeah. So there are a couple of things I tell our children about the two things which are really probably the, you know, not sure what people want to hear. The two things, in my opinion, that changes the trajectory of who they become is the college they go to and the person they marry, hmm. right? Because the, it's not about that somehow Stanford has a better education than you know any other college. It is the people that they self-select who go to Stanford tend to be the people when you surround yourself with that kind type of talent, you're suddenly uplift yourself, that group of people who are already in the top 1% end up succeeding. And when you are in your 20s or 30s, all those people are entrepreneurs. They're all running a successful company. You have a network that's unprecedented. Right. Right. By the time you're at 50s, they are running the large mega company. They are the same people, right? So you create a massive network and you surrounded and your mindset changed because you surrounded yourself with the smart people and the person you marry, because that could be so toxic. As you said, as an entrepreneur, you spend so much of your energy into your business. Now, you need a supporting partner all throughout, hmm. knowing that you're going through the hard time. If they keep pushing you, oh, you need a balance between a work life and a personal life, guess what happens? You suck at both, <laughs> right? Because right? your you, mind is wanting to do the business. And, and or worse, mm. you're trying to find a balance and your spouse still thinks you're working too hard yeah. and people at work things you're just not putting enough work right. and you suck at both. So what I found in life is the work and life balance by definition, when you say something is balanced, that means you already concluded they cannot live together. Hmm. They are balanced because they are opposite of each other. That's why they have to be balanced. What if the life and work were continuum? In that continuum, there are days there are more of one and there are days there is more of other, but there is never a balance. Right. When your kids need you, the work just have to wait, right? And when the work needs you, the kids just have to wait, hmm. right? And that balance needs to be there in a sense that 
it is a continuum where there is more or more of one or more of other, but never a balance. Now, since you brought up the kids, I do want to go there because to Please. me as an entrepreneur, it is one of the biggest challenge we face and the biggest guilt we face about being entrepreneurs because we feel we are not spending great time with our children and how will our children think of us when they grow up, right? And that guilt always makes us feel that maybe we are being a bad parents, right? So I, you know, I always, uh, so first of all, as you know, I have three children. Our oldest uh, runs a company called Built, B-I-L-T, Built Rewards. And he fundamentally changed the way how people live in their apartments. Mm. He saw when he graduated that dad, we all are able to get a good job, pay for apartments. We feel we're wasting our money away and we never earn anything for it. So he said, what if you can create a credit card that has no points? There's no annual fee and no credit card fee when you put your rent. So there is no two and a half percent fee. And I said, uncle, the credit card companies make money from having, charging credit card fees. Why would they waive it? He said, dad, because it makes sense for them to have that business they don't have today, mm. right? And you know, even me who always believes everything is possible, I said, uncle, that's a tough one, bro. And he <laughs> said, oh, dad, I think this is a solvable problem. Yeah. And he convinced MasterCard to actually say, we'll waive the charge on a credit mm. card fee. And that's the why me, right? right? You didn't know the needs that students yeah. have in those times right. and he knew that. He knew that, right? Yeah. So he was able to solve that problem. Now, my daughter, so he went to Wharton and my daughter went to Stanford and Stanford STEM fellow, Stanford Mayfield fellow. And I'll tell you a story about her when she was young, how this all happened. But she went on to do a first company using AI to remove gender bias. And now she's running a company called EV. E-V-V-Y, mm. and every woman or every man should go check it out. Every man for their wife, for their daughter, and every woman should go do EV. It's a vaginal microbiome company. She's solving the problem for women's health. And what she taught me, which really surprised me was that until 93, women weren't even allowed to be in clinical research. Yeah, I told me this, crazy. Crazy, That's that so means crazy. the drugs that we are giving women are not tested for them. The diagnostic tests we have for women never tested on women. I mean, it's mind boggling yeah, that in this day and age we had that, right? She said, dad, I think we can solve the problem. Those 4 billion women on this earth need, a com need someone to help them and I'm going to do that. My youngest one went to Stanford. He's a Schwarzman scholar. And he's running a company in Valen, which is a completely rethinking how mortgages are done. Now, the reason I mentioned that is, what is it that we did that was so different than most entrepreneurs would do? Mm. And I call that a counterintuitive parenting. So first thing was, when the kids were young, I had just was finishing my first company, Infospace, went on to become a $40 billion company. And the only reason I mentioned is, I didn't need the money at that time. My kids were all under 10 years old. Yeah, I could easily would have said, hey, I'm going to now spend my time with my children because they are young and they need me. And I realized that, wait a sec, that is such a selfish thing to do because what they would see will be very different. In their mind, when they go to school, they see dad at home watching CNBC. They come back from school, dad telling them to work hard 
because that's what it takes to be successful. Hmm. But dad is sitting at home watching CNBC. In their mind, they're saying, I want to grow up just like my dad, sit at home, watch CNBC. Instead, dad did the second company, the third company, the fourth company. Dad says, we're going to go to the moon. Dad, no private company has done that. Why are you so crazy? Well, let me show you how it is done. Wow, dad, I can't believe. Now, NASA gave you $2.6 billion contract to go do that. I can't believe you did that. Yeah. Dad is going to go do healthcare. Dad, healthcare? What do you know about healthcare? Nothing. That is my biggest asset. Hmm. Really, dad, show them how it's done. Guess what? In the children's mind, you don't have any kids, do you? No. In children's mind, the parents are complete morons. I don't know about you. Every kid thinks their parents are not that smart. Right, right. And when the kids say, my parents are morons. If he can do this, we can do that as well. <laughs> yeah. And that's literally every kid did that. Because they realize if dad can pull off this, yeah. what can we do? Hmm. Other thing was we redefined success for them. We say success is never going to be defined by how much money you have in the bank. It's going to be defined by how many lives you improve. Your self-worth will never come from what you own. It comes from what you create. So you are born in, you know, with a lot of money. You're still a parasite on humanity if you haven't created anything. So don't be a parasite. Don't be the holder of money. Go out and create something. Go out and make people's life better. We, in fact, we, you know, we, our theme to them was our love for you is unconditional, but our approval is not. Don't you ever worry. Do we love you? We love you. But I'm not going to tell you I'm proud of you hmm. unless you do things that make us proud of you. I'm curious because this is one of the differences. I see a lot of people that yeah. start businesses yeah. as parents yeah. and they grew up with affluent kids. Yeah. yeah. But you still don't have those kids that are as inspirational right. as they live in the shadows yeah. of their dad or their mom. <laughs> and when you talk about approval, when your kids are now doing yeah. great yeah. things, yeah. you have to admit the, yeah. there, there is certainly an approval that you have, right, mm -hmm. of them. Yeah. So how was that for you? Like, who were you trying to get the approval of when you were first starting out? So actually, it turns out we always are looking for our parents approve. It doesn't matter how how much you grow, you still want your parents, mom and dad to say, I'm proud of you, yeah. right? It is something inherently built into us. Now, what's very interesting is when it comes to approval, it is, you know, it is about self-love and it's about approval. It's really interesting. I believe you, we all have to fall in love with ourselves so much so we don't really care what other people think of us, right? Yeah. That means when you love yourself enough, you don't care to look for someone's approval to pursue your own dreams. That means the day you fall in love with you is the day the world will fall in love with you, right? So that means you have to go do things that you want to pursue. But when it comes to parents, you always want to hear from them that you are on the right path. Hmm. You, they approve of the things you're doing. Because at some point of time, as you grow up, you realize there is no one on this planet who would give you that unconditional love and tell you things 
that you may not want to hear. That's your parents. Yeah, right? it's a tough one. It's a tough one because they will always do what's right for you. And, you know, I'm not suggesting there are some people who have had trauma from their parents. You know, all I can say is don't think that's how most parents are. Most parents will die for their children. Hmm. Very, very few parents who would not give their sacrifice their life for the children. I would any day. Yeah. If I knew, if God were to come to me and say, your kids can live healthy for the rest of their lives, if you were to, if you were to give up your life, I would say, take it God right now. Mm. Right. That is something you would do unconditionally for your love. In fact, um, this is so tangent, but I want a story that is still brings tears in my eyes. Is my mom who told me about what you know mother's love means, and she told me that this kid who grew up to be a teenager who decided to join a gang and said, the gang said, you can, you don't, you don't are tough enough to join gang. He said, what do I have to do to show you that I can do it? He said, go kill your mother, get your beating heart of your mother and you can bring it, then you know you're ready to join the gang. He goes there, rips apart mom's chest, brings the heart, holding the heart and he's walking, he trips over and falls down and hears the heart says, son, are you okay? Hmm. She didn't care what she did. All she wanted to do was, are you okay because you tripped? Right? That's the mother's love you can never, ever forget. That unconditional love that she will always be there to take care of you. It doesn't matter what you do. Yeah. Right? Powerful. Right. So my point I'm trying to make is that as parents, you give them that unconditional love, but you always guide them and let them know when they are on the wrong path. And that's what I mean by approval is when they are doing something that you don't believe is the right path, you let them know, I'm not proud of you. If you're doing drugs, I'm not proud of you. You're going out and doing things that not improving people's life and you simply focus on making money, you still let them know, I'm not proud of you, mm. right? And that's what I mean. Final question for you. Yeah. So the Bible has the 10 commandments. Buddhism has the four noble truths. Mm -hmm. When you look back at your life and the lessons that you've learned, yeah. what would you say are the three Mm -hmm. truths mm -hmm. that you've learned about life when it comes to happiness, success? Yeah. Well, look, um, I haven't thought about it, but let me tell you that I first truth I learned is there is no such thing as good or bad. When something happens, you just let say it happened. Mm -hmm. You don't know it's good or bad for decades from now. Anytime, you know, we all been, you know, at a point in life and, you know, you broke up with your girl, first girlfriend and you thought that it was the end of your life. And 10 years later, you look back and say, wow, what a nightmare we avoided. <laughs> right? Every time. So you don't, the things are not good or bad. Yeah. We won't know whether they're good or bad for a very long time. Sure, yeah. Second thing is you realize that happiness doesn't come from anything outside you. Happiness comes from inside you. And once you find the happiness inside you, you could be sitting in a dark corner and still be happy. And if you're unhappy inside, you could be in a paradise and still be unhappy, right? Mm. So always know, no one and nothing can make you happy. Only you get to make yourself happy, right? No one can make you angry. No one can make you, uh, you know, upset. No one can depress. The third thing truth I realize is, that even though everyone believes the things that you may do are crazy, if you believe in that, you should continue pursuing your dreams because you only fail when you give up. The only regret you will have in life will be the things you didn't do versus the things you actually did. Mm, powerful. Naveen, Thank really you, appreciate you having Thank on. You. Thank you, brother. Powerful Thank you. Words. Thank you.